Hello and welcome to You Haven't Seen That, a podcast where I, Eric, get put through plenty of films that I missed uh, growing up and sort of in general as well. Um, so as usual, I'm joined by my co-host Chris. Hello everybody. And Chris, what have we got this time? Uh, we have a fun one uh, this week. Uh, we're going to sit down and watch Martin Brest's 1984 film Beverly Hills Cop. Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop. <laughs> vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with him, Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. You guys don't know nothing about nothing, do you? You just got your badges and your guns and you're on the job, right? Make sure we get the right drinks because if I drink club soda, I'll throw up. Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> you're super psyched, aren't you? I am. This is a big one for me. Um... <laughs> Like you've been bouncing up and down for weeks. I know. I, I really want to. I'm, a because I've been wanting to rewatch this film recently. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, I get to finally. This, got, that's the problem with this podcast. There are a bunch of movies I really want to sit and down you're not and watch, and I can't because we're gonna have to do them for the show. So this is one of them. So I'm happy I get to watch it again. And also, this is a big, big one for me for childhood. This yeah. is like I had this on VHS, and uh, yeah. it was a big one. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It got a lot of run throughs. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it countless. Times, yeah. so yeah. yeah, and when you can't count, that implies greater than forty. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's <laughs> weirdly one that I think I enjoy so much that I've seen it that many times, but it's still fresh and fun and enjoyable every yeah, time. Yeah, okay. so that's yeah, it, yeah. It's not one that burns out. It's not yeah. one where you watch and go, "Ah, oh, this is dated." And it's not one where I can sit there and quote every line, even. No, which okay. is kind of weird. But yeah, also, yeah. You think by then they sort of would have sunk in exactly, but yeah. it's I guess that's a testament to how good a film it is. Uh, speaking of which, what do you um, know about it? Like going in, uh, having not not much. So we, we, I looked at the cover the other last time when we pulled it out of the hat, and um, I originally thought it was a little bit more buddy cop, but it seems okay. to me as though it's going to be a bit more Eddie Murphy on his own solo mission, or something. Yeah, yeah. or at least like he's, he's very much of the focus rather than a buddy. I, I for some reason thought it was more of a buddy cop pairing kind mm-hmm. of film. Um, uh, I. Particularly, I guess, with the early Eddie Murphy sort of thing, I always sort of thought it was quite comedic, but from what I understand, it's actually quite... tends to go towards a more action-violence pathway, perhaps more than just Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. Not like the wacky kind of comedy that you would get to know him as later on in his career. Yes, so my exposure to Eddie Murphy was him a bit further down the track when he was Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, yeah. So um, and various other things. The nutty professor and things. Even so. um, little dragon from um, Mulan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mushu. <laughs> That's the one. Um, so this is is this his second film or something? Was third. So was third. well. So uh, forty eight hours was nineteen eighty one. Yep. And then he did that, and then he did a film called Best Defense, oh, okay. which is a really terrible Dudley Moore film that he has a oh. role in, and it's awful and kind of almost killed his career kind of early on. Ooh, okay. And then he did this, and it... Uh, yeah. So oh, we'll, we'll get into the impact of it yeah, in the second so, half. So Coming to America or whatever was... Uh, Coming to America's 87? Uh, oh, it's that late, is it? Okay. Uh, Trading Places, I think, is next. So that's, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this, this is his real... Yeah, break. real early, yeah. So yep. it's... Uh, to be honest, I would say it's probably the second proper Eddie Murphy film, because yep. Best Defense is not... It's just a weird, bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> and after I did 48 Hours in Trading Places, all these scripts started coming from everywhere, and I picked up a script called Best Defense... 
Here's a movie that sucked real bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, so growing up for me, I guess quite, quite yeah, obviously a lot of people were watching this. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I had a perception it was more of a direct comedy. So I'm mm. looking forward to seeing... Um, it's got Eddie Murphy and it's got to have comedy. Yeah. But I'm looking to looking. I'm interested to see what degree of what what balance they strike. I guess. Yeah. And um and you you have, like I said you've been buzzing so yeah must, must I'm a fan. Be, must, must be all right. <laughs> Is there anything you like kind of picking story wise with it or not just really? Not, I mean, last kind of week I stupidly asked you where's it set. Yeah. Um, perhaps it's in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I can't remember why I actually asked that. I think I was looking. Oh, that's right. We're looking at the cover art, and it's got this really sweet, um, real eighties, those fluoro, almost like blood splatter kind of pattern. Yes, and it yeah. looked really like Miami eighties yeah, yeah. to me. So Sorry, this is the um, the I have the soundtrack on vinyl. Sorry, that's the vinyl like, soundtrack. Yes, that's yeah. right, and just really cool artwork, and uh, and it just made me think vinyl, um, Miami in the eighties. Yes, and yeah. then yeah, anyway, it prompted a really dumb question, which I. <laughs> <laughs> kind of caught myself on fairly quickly. But no, no, I really don't know much at all. All right, well, um, uh, should we jump into it then? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so there's Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, we're back. Yeah. We're back Beverly Hills. <laughs> yep. Um, fire a... Uh, a detour in Detroit, I guess. Yep, kicking off in Detroit and, yeah, uh, busting some uh, bad smuggler dudes. Damn smugglers. <laughs> should yeah. Have, should have known it would just come down to something that simple. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I guess initial reactions, uh, your thoughts on uh, Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, just, just very, very enjoyable. I would... It sort of made me think of Commando, but a light-hearted version. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, in terms of... Uh, more just the ending. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the <laughs> like, shootout at a mansion. <laughs> the, the mansion siege shootout. Yeah. Um, ending with, like, him, like, having to deal with number one henchman who's not quite as terrifying yes. as the commando. Yes. The Aussie bloke in that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, more hmm. lighthearted. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think why this film, like, why I think we put it on the list and so early is because it, ha- I think, A, it had such a huge cultural impact, which yeah. we'll get into a bit later, but... Um, it's just such a perfect example of an action comedy film. And I, yeah. I, f- I can't honestly think of another version of like of that genre that existed prior to 1984. No, okay. But it's been aped so often since. It's a big thing now. I mean, I guess, yeah. like, not that I would know a great deal of all the sequels to Die Hard and things like that, but, like, even with Justin Long in number five or whatever it was. Yeah, and things and like that. A little bit to some degree with, um, like, Sam Jackson in number three, I guess. Yeah, just... Oh, the, and Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon. Yes, exactly. Like, there's this... Yeah. There's got to be a comedic character oh. where you watch Die Hard 1, which is clever writing. Mm. Um, but as, as the stories get less, the comedic characters kick in a bit more for some and yeah. things like that. Um, but I think why it works so perfectly in this film is because the story isn't funny and Axel is a person... Like, it's... He he's a funny guy, but he's taking what he's doing in the story very serious. His, his motivation is real, yeah, for for him, and um, uh, it's a it's kind of a it's a revenge story, sort of, kind of, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's more like getting justice for his friend. Yeah, he's in, he's investigating, yeah. but he's going to kill that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy's going to die. And I have a pretty good idea that you had Mikey killed. And when I find out for sure. 
you up real bad. But at the same time, it's just getting justice for his mate. It's mm. not like, yeah. Um, so yes, it, it follows a, a a purpose. He he just happens to be a a, ma- a mavericky renegade cop to an extent, but mm-hmm. not that far. Like, no, no. Like he obviously, you know, isn't a big fan of the rules. He'll just do he, stuff and get it done because it'll get it done. Yeah, he's, he. It's like early on, you get that scene with his lieutenant, who's like, "Where the where the hell did you get the cigarette truck from?" And yeah. you know, he's like, "Yeah, I took it from evidence." Yes. Like it's, it's, he sees a, an end goal and he takes those steps to get there, yeah. even if it like messes with procedure. Yes, so. exactly right. Yeah, and um, which makes him such a perfect. Counter contrast to the Beverly Hills Police Department, which yeah. procedure is everything. Yeah, yeah, mm. um, and they're lovely. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> oh come on, you gotta love Rosewood and Taggart. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty funny. Apart from Taggart punching him once, they're generally pretty lovely. It's interesting that that's how he's introduced as a character. Yeah. is by giving him a gut punch. <laughs> yeah, and you go, maybe this just this just showing Taggart underneath is there's more to him than just procedure. Yeah, yeah, that there's something there that has been kind of. Squashed by having democracy, yeah, having spent so long in this department that he's just like, yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry for punching you in the stomach. You may charge me. Yeah, do you want to press charges? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yes, mm. uh, which I mean, let's be honest, that's the way policing should be. Yes, yeah, but and then like you know, you you have Rosewood as the young cop who like you get the sense of he joined the police force to be a renegade, but then has just found nothing but bureaucracy and is yes. kind of like he has a no ki- confidence. He just follows orders. Yeah, because he's never actually thought for himself to some degree. No, exactly. He hasn't mm. been um, taught individualism. Yeah. He's taught part of a unit. I wonder if you could recut this movie to have it be like Axel Foley is like a guardian angel who comes to teach these guys about life. Oh my, yeah, you could. You could probably retry, recut a trailer. Yeah. And you could focus on those two. Yep, and how they're just like, yeah. If just, you had the time and knowledge and stuff, you could probably do that really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, but I mean, like, we should probably point out, like, Axel Foley is... Without a doubt, Eddie Murphy's most recognisable character, I think. And I I think he's a really recognisable 80s character. Like, because... Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything... Like, what do you reckon probably prompts that? Is there anything... Prompts... <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. is like, instigated that bing. Oh, instigate's not even the right word either. But, like... Do you think that's apt, probably, is more... Yeah, uh, I guess it's a good question, because obviously I haven't watched all of the you know a, a lot of the Eddie Murphy movies around that time and things like that when I am um, Eddie Murphy was massive when we were young kids like that was really when he was getting picked up for everything yeah. like this is obviously like you were saying one of his earliest his, his breakthrough role on screen yeah this was right after he'd um, obviously he'd become a huge stand up comedian like you know selling out stadiums and stuff mm. and he was a cast member on Saturday Night Live for four seasons and this came out just after he'd left Saturday, like he yeah. left Saturday Night Live and did this and did this yeah. yeah so this was his plunge into the movie well, and this was obviously yeah. one that broke him out and then like yeah he was massive I mean for voiceover work with, later on with mm. Mulan and, um, and Shrek and things like that yeah. and then um, but other ones that I, I there must be like a buddy cop one somewhere along the line that I, I saw. Oh, he's in an awful movie called Showtime with Robert De Niro. That yeah, is I do. Terrible. I think I saw it. Um, I removed it from my the, memory the, banks. Yeah, I'll, I'll look up quickly. But like the key '90s Eddie Murphy for me, like because that's what I figure you're, yeah. you're sort of meaning there. Um, like the one that jumps to mind for me, just because it's a 
personal favourite is Bowfinger. Which of is course, Bowfinger. Yes, and um, the Nutty Professor, of course. Yes, but that, that's the big one, I think, is the Nutty Professor is kind of what really... Made him a high-paid... Yeah, um, or, or just kind of... Because he, he'd done a lot of kind of not great movies in a row, like yeah. movies like A Distinguished Gentleman and Vampire in Brooklyn. Oh, God, yeah. And unfortunately, Beverly Hills Cop 3, which is real bad. Oh, dear, yes. So, yeah. So that was the one that kind of re... Like, you know... It's like, oh, Eddie's back, and I he's awesome. about Bowfinger. That's with Steve Martin, isn't it? Yeah, Steve yeah, Martin yeah. actually wrote that movie. So. Did he? Yeah, I remember seeing that. Mm. Um, yeah, so the, he had those real ones where he was a massive draw card. Yeah, know, yeah. And he, he was... He, to the point where he got rubbish sequels for, like, the, what's the Nutty Professor 2? The Clumps. Yeah, <laughs> Meet the Clumps or whatever. Which is just... that's. Just, I, I think that's one of those prime examples of what... I, I could be totally wrong and speaking out of turn here, but... The Clumps is such a bad sequel. It, it's similar to me with, like, uh, the Austin Powers sequels, where it's like, this was a gag that was original and worked in the first film. Don't do it again. We're going to do it all <laughs> yes. over again, and that's all we're doing. Yeah. I can handle Austin Powers, too. Yeah. It's, it's not as bad as The but Clumps. Three, 3 is pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, the recycling of yeah. bits and routines and stuff. Yeah, so exactly. Bringing back jokes. Do you remember this joke? Here's it. But we're going to do it slightly differently, or we're going to draw it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the Nutty Professor too. It's just, it's just fart like, jokes. Galore, it's farting it? around a table. That's yeah, all it that's is. That's all I remember. Who the hell called my name? Yeah, I called you if your name is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um. But yeah. So Eddie, like this Beverly Hills Cop, is the film. Like he, like was known for a whole bunch of it. Like was one of the best stand-up comedians of the eighties yes, and things. Like yeah. was known for all of these other things. But in terms of movie roles, this is what skyrocketed him. I, I mentioned in the intro that Trading Places was after this, but it was actually before I found out. Yep. Um, and that's that makes sense that that didn't really propel him because it's a Dan... He's second build. It's a, really a Dan Aykroyd movie. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. So this is his first... In, very the, much top, his top film. Top build film, yeah. yeah. It never, like 48 Hours, he's second... Like Nick Nolte gets top billing and... Yep. Yeah, so. And no one else on screen really is a recognisable... They're all character actors... Yeah, like, so, even Judge Reinhold, to that extent. Like, he'd yeah, like done a, Fast Times, and that was probably about it. That would have been it at that time, surely, and... Mate, uh, oh, no, Gremlins is the same year, so... It's oh, 84, was it? So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not as though, like, you know, his... The, the bad guy, Victor, was, was a big name or anything like that in terms of... Um, first billing, second billing, and he, he's a, uh, yeah. Stephen Burkoff is the actor's name. He was a he's a British character actor. Um, mm. You know, he's in Octopus. He's the all of an Octopussy. Um, yep. I was looking him up on IMDb. He's uh, the police sergeant in Clockwork Orange. I think yes, so. He's he was saying that a kind of reputable kind yep. of British character actor who apparently absolutely hates this movie. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, which is kind of odd. Yeah. Hmm. It's a and it, it kind of works that way with with all the character actors and and Eddie didn't take it not that I expected it to be derpy or goofy but it, like you were saying he takes it very naturally yeah um, when we were watching it you were saying that it's almost like he's just in conversation yeah it and was his natural charisma is carrying carrying the performance and the, it, the yeah. I think it was the scene really early on when his uh, friend Michael and like the two of them are out at a bar, at the bar yeah. and it's just the way he's not. It, I think it help, helps that it's so early in his career, and he he's just he's just acting. He's, he's just not, relaxed. Yeah. yeah, he's not Eddie Murphy acting at this no. point. And I wonder if that's what kind of makes this character so such a like has solidified it in pop culture and things is because it's one of those 
not to say he's a bad actor, but it's one of those... It's such a interesting and strong and kind of... He doesn't have a wide range. No. Like some actors, of course, who rely on that sort of stuff. Here's his comedy. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't say... I mean, Jim Carrey has done some pretty different things. Yeah, I, I, would, I, could, I would argue that yeah, case yeah, against yeah, Jim Carrey. No, like Man of the... Um, Oh, Truman Show as well, yeah, Eternal true. Sunshine. He did, yeah, true. So he he moved on to do those sorts of things. Mm. Whereas Eddie Murphy, I can't think of too many where he's gone on to do. I mean, really, it's you've got uh, Dream Girls, where he was nominated for an Academy That's Award. That's right. I forgot but, he was in that. But I had the problem of watching that Dream Girls the entire time. I was like, yeah, it's Eddie Murphy doing his darndest to get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, like I didn't quite. No, you can't with separate it. the the actor from the performance. Mm. Um, whereas. This one is... It's just a bit more toned down, I yeah. guess. The jokes and the lines are more just like... It's like Axel Foley is saying something, and it's he's not pushing the humour or anything like that. That's um, what... He's, he's yeah. just, he's, he just wants to be... Even, I guess, like, when he... Each time he gets arrested by the local police, hmm. he's like, yeah, arrest me, boys. Like, he's, he's not there to stir up and be a maverick. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. And it's like uh, the, the prime example of that would be the scene where he's thrown through the window. Yeah. And it's it's a funny scene, but he's not playing it for laughs. Please get in the car, sir. Yeah, but tell me, son, what's the charge? Possession of a concealed weapon disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace? I got thrown out of a window. What's the f***ing charge for getting pushed out of a moving car, huh? Jaywalking? This is bullshit. He's genuinely like... Yeah, concerned. Like you were arresting me for being thrown out of he a window. He lets the situation carry the comedy. Exactly, exactly. Like, this guy just got thrown out a window. <laughs> yeah, and he picks and chooses his odd moments to be comedic. Yeah, and it's like little throwaway lines, like when he pulls up his car to the, the like country club and things. Can you put this in a good spot? All this shit happened last time I parked here. Thank you. Yes, like yeah. it's it's those little moments that make it. Like, that's, that's Eddie Murphy doing a joke. Yeah, and perhaps maybe when he's telling a lie in the police station that first time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Taggart was breaking. Oh, that they're all super cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's obviously a little bit where he, he took his, um, his, his stand-up and his ability to ad-lib and stuff. Yeah. And rolled with it a bit. Mm. But, um... But he didn't... Oversell it. Really. It's not like we're watching a Judd Apatow movie where you're sitting there being like... These guys are just stoned and rolling off each other. Yeah, and it's just nothing. Going on way too long. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's he's very cleverly using, dropping in little bits and pieces yeah. that, to help propel the story, as yeah. opposed to just be funny. And maybe the director has a lot of credit to be. I, to, I would say so. Surely that would be... to control those scenes and say this is what I want from it. Yeah, and I rather think... than you, you hear, I, I never saw the new Ghostbusters film. Yeah, um, it just didn't interest me. Just nope. didn't feel like the need to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't look entertaining, but you hear a lot of the criticism, the more measured criticism that yes, it gets, yes. um, where people just say it was just, they just ad-libbed and it wasn't funny. And you hear the director, I heard a bit of footage of the director talking, he's like, that, that was so funny, we just let them go. Um, but it didn't turn into a good product. So even reviewers trying to review it seriously couldn't really give it anything because yeah. like, it was just it was just a bit of a mess. That's yeah. what I read anyway, I haven't but, seen that's it. That's like the but, problem, like you need to actually have a serviceable story and... I think, yeah, Eddie does such a solid job of... He's trying to make the film funny, not his performance be yes, funny. Yes, he's not trying to steal it. Yeah. Even though he's central character, it's pretty... Um, I don't know, maybe Eddie Murphy ten years later wouldn't have done that. Possibly not, knows? yeah. Um, but, um, but I think early on as well, this being early in his career yeah. and stuff, and we looked up, he was 23 years old when he yeah. made this, which is 
baffling to yeah, think. Yeah, he's done very well in it. Um, uh, and the support cast. Yeah. We're, we're, t- we're just talking about that. Character actors. Yeah, and I think that has, t- like, that helps with it as well, as well, because I know that they were improving in scenes as well. Yeah. And I think Martin Brest, the director, just did an amazing job of grouping together some really interesting character actors that could mm. play. Apparently, like, the auditions for Taggart and Rosewood were, like, you know, just matching different people, yep. and they were, like, he would throw out some improv suggestions to them and actually yep. force them to, like, make a scene to see how they would bounce off each other yep. and work. And if that's the style of film you're making, mm. perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's, like, doing that, I think, to establish that these guys can have chemistry and bounce yep. off each other. Yep. But also put that within a framework that is a very tight, yes. interesting script that is very story-driven. Yeah, I don't want you to bounce off too much. These are your motivations, your yeah. characters, your restrictions work within that. Yeah. And um, even when Eddie, story-wise, when Axel does some wacky stuff, it like the example, like when he gets caught at the um, the customs warehouse and things. Oh yes, and like pretends to be, you know, <laughs> he has so many alter egos. Yeah, I'm Inspector Raff at the United States Customs Service. Um, tell Victor that Ramon, the fella he met about a week ago, Rolling Stone magazine's Axel Foley. That's what it is. Well, I can't remember that one. Mm, but um. <laughs> It's when, yeah, when he's in that warehouse and he's using that, you know, persona of being the customs guy, and it's all serving a purpose for story. It's not just doing it because it's a wacky scene to do to get out of the situation. Yes, it's not like, hey, let's let's, let's just have something funny and silly here. Yeah. It's like, no, he's actually getting information. Yeah, he's, he's... and, he, and when he's, once he's in the scene and kind of committed to this character, he's mm. not, yeah. There's no unnecessary scenes that I can think of mm. off the top of my mind. Like, you could have had a lot of, like, Eddie Murphy from Detroit, he's in L.A. Yeah. And done a lot more of him, like, just making fun of high-end stores and cars and the people. Yeah. He could have made much more of a scene in the country club if he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they didn't. They just kept going. Yeah. And the pacing was good. Mm. And that's the thing. Like, the country club scene, he only uses the uh, the fun, like, the, you know, the very... The, the stereoty- excuse for talking to... Yeah, like, you know, the very heightened gay stereotype things yes. as a means to an end to be able to get past that first guy at the door. And then yeah. as soon as he's done that, drops it's like, it. drops it and it's... Dead, it's a dead serious scene. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's very serious. Mm. Um, but um, and also to your point of like him going around Beverly Hills, you've got like maybe one montage scene. Yeah, when he first arrives, and yeah. it's fine because it's set to an awesome song. Yeah, which one was it again? It was... Um, it's uh, like Turn It Up or something like that. I'm heat is on. No, heat no, is that's on. The is intro, the isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's called uh, that song is called Stir It Up by Patti LaBelle <laughs> it worked a trait whatever yeah. it was yeah um, yeah. that was a there are, there are a few um, uh, I don't know pop songs or, or whatever uh, yeah. licensed songs that, that would really serve the purpose really well yeah like I mean the big ones is obviously uh, The Heat Is On by Glenn Fry, Neutron Dance by The Pointer Sisters yeah that's right and uh, it's not unfortunately not on the soundtrack but it's uh, like uh, Nasty Girl is when they're in the strip club oh yeah that yeah. was that, just sort of floating around in the background yeah yeah um, yeah the soundtrack was good mm. We'll get back to those actors in a second, but yes. the, the score was... Um, who was the, the guy? Again? It's uh, Harold Faltermeyer is, right. uh, is the composer. He also did um, Top Gun as well, oh, uh, another film go. we've done. Yep. So, um, yeah, he's sort of one of those 80s kind of synthwave composers, yeah. and 
he's done a wonderful job here, I think. Yeah, like, there's only... Obviously, the Axel F theme tune or whatever yeah. uh, is... is That's very well known. Yeah, that's that's, that's ex- almost more iconic than the film itself, I would yeah. say. Um, like, surely most people know that. And yeah. I'm making that claim. I'm pretty measured with claims like this. <laughs> yeah. Um... The other track, there are probably only other, another like three or four. Yeah, but I'm sure it's like condensed, like a, like stuff. you know, the score suite or something. Yeah, but like yeah, it's it's solid, interesting music. Yeah, it's varied but recognizable. I mean, like the actual F thing gets used like six or seven times. It gets yeah. used quite a lot. But you don't really get sick of it. That's what's interesting. Yeah, about it. yeah. Um, you're like, oh, here it is again. Um, and then a couple of the other scores, uh, sort of like. I think they play it when he's investigating the warehouse. Yeah. One of the ones gets used then and stuff. That gets used a couple of times too, mm. and it's sort of almost like the investigative yeah. score, and that works beautifully too. I'd almost liken the Axel F theme to like the James Bond, st- the da da kind of sting. Like, yeah. it's used maybe like two or three times per movie, but it's just yep. you never get, to, and it's that recognizable yep. thing of like, oh yeah, it's on, yeah. <laughs> like fun. Yeah, to me now it just sounds like I'm dying in Goldeneye the game. Okay, I can understand that. <laughs> hmm. um, but uh, anyway, back to the, the character actors. Um, yeah. Why is Judge Reinhold always pathetic? Just look at him. Yeah, no, <laughs> that no. was really mean. But, yeah. um, he looks I, like a, he looks like an embarrassed turtle. <laughs> <laughs> like very you true. know how he sort of looks around a bit slowly and inquisitively, yeah. and he just has. It, I think it's he's got the puppy dog eyes. It's the puppy dog yeah. eyes and the curly locks. He looks yeah like. <laughs> Yeah, and I think he's like me. You can't grow a moustache, mm. so you can't gruff him up much. No, no, and uh, I think... And particularly in this, he's young still, so yeah. he's still got that look as well. And I think, to his credit, he probably knows that and is playing to his strengths yes, in this. Yeah. Like you've got to know what... The, 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 I can imagine on the page, the Ro- Billy Rosewood character, there's not much there. Nothing But much. he imbues him with such a personality, yeah. albeit a meek kind Very of... Very meek and... Yeah, but it's something different, and it also... The shyness and the meekness and the like put upon nature of him is like such a beautiful. Like, works I feel like so you well. know him quite well. Yeah, the character, and it's it's like he, he can't be a bombastic personality because you've already got Eddie. Yeah, they're, they're um, John Aston and Reinhold are very cleverly taking a step back and being very yes. measured with their performances, and they're not too. You know, you could have had Taggart as a real caricature. Yeah. I'm sick of this. I'm the gro- Yeah, I'm you could have been Danny one. Glover from <laughs> yes, Little Weapon. Yes. Like, I'm over this. I'm too old for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they they they're quite, they were either written or, or directed or performed very nicely mm. to sort of complement um, and definitely sit just below um, Axel. And it meant Axel didn't have to be overly aggressively no um, comedic either and I think the film is really smart at him at Axel not being combative against these two guys yeah. because if he was you'd be like oh they're just doing their jo-. like it yeah. could be a kind of strike against yeah, him to it was some very degree. interesting in that regard like there wasn't you know Axel just he got arrested a few times um, but he just went with the flow and yeah. then the police department in Beverly Hills on the basis of being really nice basically mm. it's kind of more or less let him off. Well, it's, it's the idea as well of, um, you have Ronnie Cox as Captain Bogomil as well, yeah. recognising that he is a good cop and he's doing it for a reason. So he's set, like, has that scene where he's like, don't, don't lie, just, just tell us what's going on and we will help, like, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting that it's not, because it would have gotten so old if it was just a constant, 
We're stopping you. Yeah. yeah. How dare you? And they even bring in like the two yuppie weird yeah, side cops are, in those at the guys end. Are a bit mediocre. They're a little. Like, they don't like, get much of a part, thankfully. No, thank God. But like, there's only one character that has like a more bombastic personality than Eddie, and that is uh, Captain Todd back in Detroit. Oh, Captain Todd! <laughs> he is the best. <laughs> is that fucking Foley in here? All right, there's Todd. It's showtime, okay? Hey, boss, I know what you're going to say, but... You I'm... mind telling me where the f*** you come off going undercover without authorization from me? What the f*** is this all about? You want to play some f***ing bullshit cowboy cop? Go do it in somebody else's precinct. I'm not taking any more of this shit from you. Know how much this little stunt of yours is going to cost this city? The mayor called the chief, the chief called the deputy chief, the deputy chief just chewed my ass out. You see, I don't have any bit of it left, don't you? So, you, you were saying he's not actually an actor primarily? Yeah, yeah, I'll just find that one in my notes. Um, yeah, so his name's Gilbert R. Hill. Uh, he was a real-life police, Detroit police homicide detective. Uh, he later went to serve as president of the Detroit City Council. Why not? Yeah, so I I believe, yeah, he got involved in the production as, like, a creative consultant while they were in Detroit, and they were just like, you need to play the captain because (laughs) you're a madman. You are a captain, and you're terrifying, and you've got presence. And it's that thing of, it's, you got so excited when we were watching, you were like, yeah, 80s angry captain. Yeah, this is perfect. Like, here's another one. (laughs) But this is the thing of, like, I, there are only two that come to mind when I think of angry 80s captain, and it's... Coincidentally, both Eddie Murphy movies. I think of 48 Hours, like Nick Nolte's Captain in that, and I think of Captain Todd. They're the two that... They're the ones that leap to mind. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think of any... I I probably won't be able to think of any iconic ones right now, but Mm. it's just... All I can think of is the... um, is what's his face at uh, in Point Break? Obviously, nineties. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, John John C. McGinley. Yeah, there's always just like that, that angry lead. Yeah, um, senior officer or whatever. Mm. But um, um, I'm intrigued. Uh, kind of shifting points a little bit here. How did it work for you as a crime investigation story? It's pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm maybe being a bit blunt there, but it wasn't the most compelling. Okay. Or, or well written crime investigation it was mm-hmm. more about the characters yeah, I, yeah. I was invested in them mm. the, the the actual investigation was very second fiddle yeah, to yeah. all of that um, it's, it's serviceable and it works you're totally right it's a film about characters and mm. not necessarily about it was pretty the um, crime it's just a bit nothing really okay i don't know like there was like this bear, you know bonds link between his mate obviously stolen some whilst working a dodgy job for this guy and then the, and also he found some coffee grounds. He's like, maybe there's some drugs involved too. Mm. I meant, but really it was more of a revenge situation. Just was lucky that he this just guy was dodgy to, as. Yeah, it's well, upon an actual crime. Yeah, he, he killed his mate for a yeah. reason. He obviously knew too much. Yeah. Um, and, and he'd stolen from them. Um, See, I, I think it works quite well for the film that it's housed in. If it yes. was, if it was a straight serious film, as it was origi- originally intended to be, Ooh. which I will get into. Yeah, it's <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it just would be fairly. It, yeah, at least in the way it was executed here, it would need to be done much better. Yeah, and uh, it's quite base. Mm. Um, it wasn't really explained all that well really no no like, but- even, even like when he went to the second where I can't remember how he he had a manifest or something didn't he the the final warehouse where they found the drugs finally mm. um 
like you know stuff just just sort of followed some leads yeah we made some friends along the way yeah pretty much (laughs) so no but isn't that what police work's all about yeah it's just all about friendship and serving the community yeah um but yeah no it wasn't the most compelling storyline for me but yeah with exactly within the film yeah it, it let you just enjoy the characters and it was enough yeah um, I didn't have an issue with it. I wouldn't go, oh, that was weak. Yeah. But I wouldn't go, man, that was a cool story. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, the second one has an okay-ish. It's a little bit weaker. It's yeah. kind of similar to this first one, storyline. Um, and the third one, I'm trying to think. All I know is it's like corruption in an amusement park. Right. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I, I'm forgetting, like, what the... Oh, no, his captain gets killed. <laughs> oh, see, that sounds like it should be... Oh, no, that's... Hang on, that's just the same thing again. Yeah, and it's that's kind of the plot of the second one as well, except it's Captain Bogomil. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, oh, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it... <laughs> yeah. Like, um... But number, but number three does have a cameo by George Lucas, so... <laughs> what? As himself? I, I don't know. Uh, it's a lovable teddy bear? No, it's a guy who, like, is at the amusement park, I think. Is he trying to order a hot dog and just can't achieve his goal? No, he's trying to get on a Ferris wheel thing, but Axel pushes him out of the way so he can get on to escape security. Excuse me. Hey! That's not fair. Maintenance, I gotta go grease the chain. Come on, let's go. But then something goes wrong with the Ferris wheel and Axel has to save kids. What a hero. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh. Anyone who says Beverly Hills Cop 3 is good is a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had time to watch it purely just, just, but also, you know. Well, one day we might get to yeah. it just for the sheer sake of, yeah. <laughs> we've run out of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, bottom of the barrel. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say maybe we could get away with number two, because uh, it's directed by Tony Scott, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah it was his time, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And this is... Oh, I mean, we should probably point out that this is one of the first uh, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer films. Yeah, because they... You who know, are, like, the godfathers of 80s, 90s action movies. Yeah, and they've gone on to, like, be big deal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's it. So, he, um... They'd done Flashdance before this, and I think yeah. this was their second or third film together. So, really? yeah, this yeah. was really early on. And then... After the, like this was such a massive hit, and then Top Gun afterwards, and then it just snowballed from there. Pretty much, yeah. so yeah, yeah. They put, they put things together pretty well. Mm. Um, so y- it was going to be a straight film, yeah. In terms yeah. of not a comedy, yeah. It, it, there's a super interesting backstory to this one. Okay, go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so originally. Um, Sorry, I just want to find it properly in my notes. So, originally the film was written for, and he'd been cast, and they were in early production. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Yep. So yep. he was relatively early on in his screen career. When was Rocky? Rocky's 77? Oh, no, 78, maybe? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because that was his real breakout, wasn't it? I'm going to look up quickly, like, where he, where this was, would have been for him. Yep. I think this is around the time that he did, like, Cobra and things. Sorry, it's really... Sylvester's a weird word to spell. <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. Bear with me. So, okay. Uh, you know, post-Rocky, he'd done a few little other bits and pieces... Um, early 80s style with uh, Rocky 3 uh, yep. and then you've got the first Rambo movie First Blood okay so 
kind of around that, but then uh, what he did in uh, 84 was he made uh, Rhinestone, the uh, cowboy singing movie with Dolly Parton. But wiser you created a monster And they call him Frankenstein And the tavern down the street Is the laboratory Where he makes the transformation All the time Oh, so, yeah, okay Which is pretty amazing if you've never seen it I'm in, Yeah, I'm intrigued Yeah, yeah. it's Wow. <laughs> um, so, this was originally a, a, written a, a for him, serious basically. action crime vehicle yep. for Stallone. And so, basically, the character of Michael Tandino, which is the friend that James Russo yes. plays at the beginning that gets killed, was originally supposed to be his brother. And Jenny Summers, uh, the woman who runs the art gallery and the old yep. friend, was supposed to be the love interest. Yep. So, it was like very atypical 80s yep. thing. Uh, Stallone said he left the project because he didn't think audiences would accept him as a naive fish-out-of-water cop. And, uh... uh, He's probably pretty right there. Yeah. And he also didn't like that they were starting to try and infuse a little bit of comedy into it, and he didn't... It wasn't a full-blown comedy. No. um, But it was like a... Some quips and things like that. Well, the fish-out-of-water story lends itself to that. Yeah, you've got... Yeah. Um, I just need to interject this. I did find... So he... that Stallone's like, I walked away from the project... Yeah. Uh, Stephen Burkhoff, who played uh, the villain, Maitland, yep. uh, said to a UK newspaper that Stallone quit the film because of disagreements about orange juice in his trailer. <laughs> and then there's also claims that uh, Bruckheimer and Simpson and stuff, like, they just didn't... They decided it wasn't a good fit. Yep. And so they tried to subtly work out ways to get him out of it. Yep. And they had... Uh, con- it's so weird, this story. He managed to get him to become the spokesperson for erectile dysfunction pit, like... Yeah, okay. Like pills that make you super virile. And and so he had to go to Europe. From Love and Other Drugs, they were just pretty brand new back then. Yeah, and so he had to go to Europe to, like, do a bunch of promotion for that. And they're like, oh, well, he can't do the movie now. That's a pity. And then we got Eddie. (laughs) That's such a change of direction. I know, right? It's it's very different. And I think it was just... I, I think along the way of making this the scripted in pre-production, seeing that it could shift and become something different. Yeah. And if you had the right person. And then it's a stroke of genius to cast Eddie Murphy, I think. Yeah, he's a great one. Mm. Um, because the the cast in um, in Beverly Hills was conspicuously white Yes, as well. So he definitely stands out. And he brings it up a little bit in the hotel and things like that. You know, when he's yeah. here to interview Michael Jackson, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, it's not dwelled on or anything like that, but no. that is just sort of maybe some visual juxtaposition that you kind of notice or don't notice. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he works for multiple reasons. Mm. Being an inexperienced actor, but with charisma. Yeah, that's... And uh, I think it is the charisma is what you need for that character to yes. kind of yeah. be able to get away with what he gets away with in the film. Yes, mm. yeah. Um, do you want to hear some alternate casting? Yeah. While we're on that note? Yeah, since we're on it anyway. Uh, yeah, so... It was so Stallone was originally cast, yep, uh, and then you know dropped out of the project. Uh, the other one that was in high contention was Mickey Rourke. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, so they're going for tough guys. Yeah, but then here I have a massive list. So other people considered for the role of Axel Foley. Yeah, Jeff Bridges. That'd be different. James Kahn. Yeah, that guy was yeah popular around that time. Billy Crystal. What? Robert De Niro. Yeah, okay. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Richard Gere. 
I haven't seen Richard Gere in enough things of, of where he would have been that age. Mm. All I know is him is... This is around, like, Officer and a Gentleman kind yeah, of I only time. really know him as, like, Silver Fox. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Salt, I mean, salty voiced. Yeah, he always man. has been, really, but... Um. Yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gregory Hines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Keaton. Man, they tried everybody. Nick Nolte. <laughs> Al Pacino. Oh, my God. <laughs> Richard Pryor. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, and then they gave up on Richard yeah. and moved on. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, action man again at that time. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, okay, ooh, that's early for him. Uh, John Travolta. All right. Bruce Willis. Jesus. And Robin Williams. What? <laughs> I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been in that exact order, but... That's, um, like, that list, I feel, is just, like, who's alive? Yeah, who's alive and... <laughs> Like, pretty popular and good. Yeah, who could make us money, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, they, they must have... It'd be fascinating to see the order in which they sort of swung into groupings. Like yeah. It, would have, it sounds like it would have started with, like, yeah, um, Action Hawk and Kurt Russell and things like and that. And I'd say, like, Arnie and Bruce yes. Willis would have been thrown in the mix. Oh, Bruce Willis, this no, is pre-Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. So, he's more of Michael Keaton style, like, known for light-hearted-y kind of comedy yeah. stuff at this point. Because this is pre-Batman, and, like, and Michael then, Keaton's known as a stand-up comedian at this point. Wasn't, and because yeah. of Night Shift and stuff. So. Yeah. So then maybe they swung, and then they just swung all the way to Richard Pryor. Yeah. And, and then, Robin Williams, I guess. Yeah, and then... Well, I'm sure Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, stuff, and Pryor and Gregory Hines. Yeah. They kind of came into the mix when it started to become more of a comedy. Yeah, let's go the real fish out of water side and yeah. play that up a little bit. Which is interesting. I thought it was um, Martin Brest as well. Like, I think he is a wonderful director and does a great job with this. What, what else has he done? So you said he's someone who made a bad film and now he's... Yeah, he unfortunately been. made Geely, the Ben Affleck gen- Oh, that one. Yeah, and he has never worked since. I heard that was dreadful. It's pretty it's it's pretty interesting to watch. I it's, it's beyond dreadful actually. Yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting. I, I, mean, I remember when that came out. Yeah. And- People just were baffled at how something could exist like that. Mm. But um, he he made one film prior to this. I'm mental blanking on the name of it, but it was yeah. um about kind of a group of old uh, old men kind of having a last hurrah before they yep. die. Kind of one of those type of movies. Yeah, one of those bucket list things. Yeah, yeah, and then he got um he was directing War Games, but got fired off of that. Yes, and so then um Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer kind of swept him up and. Yep put him into this and then post this kind of informed a bit of his career because the film after this was a midnight run which is a fantastic yes. bounty hunter movie with robert de niro yeah, and I've the dad that. from beethoven <laughs> i love that i love midnight run yep. it's, it's really good but then he started shifting more serious i uh, got nominated for some academy awards for doing a scent of a woman without yeah Pacino. okay yeah uh, he did meet joe black with uh, oh yes yeah and then uh yeah did julie and and that was that. Yeah, so he's it, like his first film was like 1977 or something. Yeah. And since then he's directed nine movies. So it's wow. a very short short. He would take like 5 6 years in between films and things, yeah. but he wouldn't yeah. he wasn't Kubrick unfortunately. N- no. Well, I mean of a certain stuff. He made yeah. fun movies, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. But um he wasn't uh, in that kind of weird period before they kind of grabbed him off of War Games. And back when it was a Stallone vehicle and a yes. serious movie, they went after Martin Scorsese to direct Man, it. That would have been such a different film. Like, like yeah. obviously, like they clearly had it teed up to be something completely different. So, which is why to, I think to it's rewrite a- it and turn out a good product, yeah, is it very impressive. And I feel it has a lot to do with Eddie Murphy's performance and like the, the genius move of casting him. Very good casting. I think he. Mu- it seems to me like 
the the like we're saying the managing of the ad libbing and the, mm. the the restricting the caricatures has stopped it being too silly. Which is that's that's a good point. I just thought of like restricting the caricatures. Like yeah, one th- a scene that is so memorable from this film is Serge, yes, played by Bronson yes. Pinochet. I'm fine. My name is Serge, and how can I help you? But he has like three lines of dialogue. He's not overused. No, he's very oh. sparing and simple. Whereas, um, I, and I guess this probably comes back to this film being one of those earlyish ones in its style with the fish out of water. Mm. Cops that want the, the modern day equivalent. A good one would still use him sparingly, but a bad one would overuse a character like that. Yeah, and they'd play up on these these more yeah weirder characters. Yeah, and it, or repeat uh, jokes and yeah. things like that. There's not much joke style repetition. No. And the the joke of Serge is that he is such a different person than Axel has ever had to deal with. Yes. And uh, what it's pertaining? I didn't understand what you said. Pertaining, what it's meaning, regarding. Oh, what's it regarding? I'm an old acquaintance of hers. Don't I? One moment. That's what the joke is. Yeah. It's not... Hey, look at this weird, wacky art guy. This guy's odd. Like, the, the joke is Axel's never met or dealt with someone like this to the point that he can't even really understand. Yeah, he doesn't even mock him or anything yeah. like that. Like he kind he of treats him as a nice guy, he and just, he's like asking he's about chilling. the art and his job. Like. He just joins in, and you think he's probably having a bit of a laugh in a way, hmm. but he doesn't like go. What's the deal with that guy? Yeah, or anything like that. Hmm. Um, he's just like, well, "This is weird. That's all that." Ne- <laughs> yeah, and just simple sparing. Yeah. We don't need to. Yeah, which I think is Martin Brest just doing his thing mm. and knowing, yeah, to get out of a joke as soon as you can. Like, yeah, you know, I don't... guess all that sort of stuff was potential, or not all of it, but a lot of those sort of things probably relatively fresh back then, whereas now we've seen a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, so, mm. and that's where it can go wrong. Yeah. When you redo a trope that's been done and you, you overboard it or you let it go too much, and that's where good films stand out. They yeah. measure, th- measure it out really well. Mm. It's crazy to think that this film's nearly 35 years old. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, this film, like, it it was such a massive, massive hit and, you know, obviously yeah. spawned two sequels. They, they've they been talking forever how they're trying to do a fourth or yeah. they, they tried to do a TV series and it's just trying to keep it going. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you can kind of understand why when you see how much money it kind of made at the box office. Yeah. Um, so the production budget was $15 million. Okay. And it went on to gross $234 million at the US domestic and worldwide $316 million. That is a roaring success. Yeah. It was the highest grossing film of 1984. Yeah, see, that's an impressive... I, I can understand that statistic. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it beat out. Uh, number two was Ghostbusters, and number three was the second Indiana Jones. It was bigger than both of those. Well, I mean, I guess Ghostbusters, in a way, came out of nowhere to mm. a degree, but um, the second Indiana Jones already had one behind it that was big. Yeah, but the surprising thing about this is this was this is an R-rated movie. Really? Yeah, or like in America, yes, like and yeah, that, which normally means box office. Um, yeah, you can't kids. take kids to like yeah. Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. At least they were PG. Yeah, like, I mean, that's kids. why studios edit them down to not be why PG thirteen is such a big rate. Like everything's PG thirteen. Yes. Um, yeah. So the fact that this was uh, such a huge hit and for an R rated film, yeah. shows how much people connected and loved this film yeah. and just grabbed a hold of it. I guess Eddie Murphy was so hot right now, and that was um, it, well executed. Yeah. Um, yeah, the highest-grossing R-rated film until Matrix Reloaded in 2003. 
So it held that record for... Was that R-rated in America? Yeah, yeah. Really? Which, uh, yeah, that's baffling, right? I don't I see why that would be PG. It kicks a lot of people. Yeah, but they're CGI people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it held the record for 19 years, and uh, uh, if you take inflation, inflation into account, it would be the third most attended R-rated film in the history of cinema, <laughs> behind The Exorcist and The Godfather. Yeah, okay, well, that's pretty esteemed company. Yeah, way to go, Axel. Jeez. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which I feel like Eddie Murphy should be nominated for that, right? <laughs> Not the Yeah, credit. I don't think the screenplay was that stunning. Mm. Maybe, I, I don't know. Well, this is one where you go, well, this is an old film. It was probably extremely fresh back then. Yeah. Like you said, you can't think of many before it. No, they kind of invented that kind of no, blend so. of, you know, drama and comedy and action yeah, together. Yeah, so I guess it must have been originality yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like I said, it that stuff's been done now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 35 years later or whatever it is. Mm. Do you reckon that might have, like, have affected your viewing on it? Like, having it been yeah. such a saturated I, medium? I think maybe, point? yeah. So in terms of, I, I guess it's been done a lot now, so there's some seriously clever versions and more yeah. compelling stories. Um, and that's where, like we've said with other ones, it can be hard for me going back to watch some of them for the first time. Go, oh, I wasn't that impressed with elements of it. Yeah. And yes, perhaps in hindsight, yeah, nothing... Sounds like a product like this didn't really exist. Yeah, if you saw this in the cinema in 1984... Yeah, I, I could be... see why... I can't think of a heap of examples of... Uh, I could see why mm. it would be such a significant deal yeah. back then. It's like when you go back and watch any like acclaimed movie from the 50s. Mm. You're like... Wow, you did this that like... Yeah, yeah. you were a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can... Or you might not understand the film techniques. Like, this isn't that impressive. But mm. then you actually learn about the film techniques and you're like... Oh, I see. Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well done. Mm. Uh, yeah, so nominated for the Academy Award. I uh, was also nominated for two Golden Globes, uh, Best Film, Comedy or Musical, yeah. and Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Yep. Uh, it was nominated... The score was nominated for a BAFTA. Yeah. And it actually... The soundtrack won a Grammy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It got scattered awards all over the place. Pretty much, yeah. nominations. So it was like, yeah, nicely... Yep. Well considered, I think. Um, yeah. It's one I, gen- doing that research, was genuinely shocked it was not in the National Film Registry. It'll get there one day. Oh, it's purely for, for just sure. financial and uh, impact. Uh, the cultural impact yeah. alone it should be. Yeah. yeah. I, I was shocked it wasn't in there yet. So, consider when you look at, like, no, no offense to some, like, yeah. It's one of my favourite films of all time. It's in like my top ten. I absolutely adore it. Oh, is this in your... No, oh, no, uh, Rushmore. Oh, I was sorry. Gonna, sorry. Yes. Uh, Rushmore is one of my favourite movies, and that's in the National Film Registry. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's a, amazing. Yeah. I love it as well, but... Uh, Honestly, Beverly Hills Cop should be in there before <laughs> that, I feel. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Rushmore is very well put together, but um, in terms of impact... Yes. And, yeah, cultural impact and stuff. But, yes, it'd be mm. interesting to see their criteria. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that should, could probably uh, lead us into uh, your final thoughts. So, Eric, as an adult, how, how yeah, do you feel? Yeah, yeah, that, that was really good fun. Um, like I said, like I, I didn't think the storyline was anything impressive, and that's probably a reflection of the times, but um, that didn't stop me enjoying the film. Yeah. Uh, I think like the, the characters just work well. They're, they're not overblown or over the top. Eddie Murphy's very natural, and you you don't you know you're not meant to hate any of the characters and, no. and things like that. So, so it's just so easy to watch, and you, the motivations are really. Um, really easy to join in with and just watch I can see why you could have watched it so many times yeah it, your life. it's just such an easy film to go back and watch yeah and just chuck on and have yeah. fun and there's great little single lines and mm. 
not maybe not as much action as I had maybe been misled to believe. Yeah, I mean, you've got the big car chase at the beginning where yeah. they destroy everything. Yeah, oh man, police <laughs> driving ta- ta- tactics don't seem to have changed mm. in 35 years. But, I mean, other than that, like, you've got Michael being killed, which is very brutal and stark, the way it's I presented. was actually, I must admit, I was surprised there wasn't an 80s blood pack. Yeah. Because, um... They, they blood-packed everybody else. Granted, yeah. they're getting shot in the chest and stuff. Mm. Um, but I, the actual brutality of the kill, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, because um, it, it's shot very like far away down the hallway, and, and it's like, hang on, he's going to execute him. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I actually expected an, a, a cheesy eighties, yeah, or, or a blood pack explosion or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but I mean, other than that, like the you've got the strip club yeah. scene where they stop the robbery. Yep. And then the shootout at the end, really. It's not Yeah, that's heavy. about it. And, and then, I guess, when um, Billy shoots the guy to save Axel's life. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I kind of would lump that in with the giant Yeah, yeah it all sort of goes in together. But, yeah, yeah. I, I... It probably had as much as I would have expected. I don't know, for some reason recently, I, I had sort of gathered, oh, maybe it's even more action-packed, so to speak, than mm. I thought. But, no, no, it was probably about what I expected. Nice. Mm. So, yeah. Yep. And, and the important one, as a kid... Yeah, I think I would have really liked it. I, I, I always liked Eddie Murphy as in the right roles. I mean, Nutty Professor 2 is pretty dumb. Oh, you, you made me do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's all, his charisma um, and stuff is, is a lot of fun. Um, as an adult, he seems to... It turns out he's probably not necessarily the best bloke. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, whatever. That's probably I, why he doesn't really work much these yeah, days. Um, but I would have enjoyed the film. I think he was... He was it was like the perfect age for us yeah. um, and things like that I would have enjoyed it from a young age and probably would have watched it a lot of times yeah um, throughout high school and things like that it would have been a very easy one to just chuck on yeah um, yeah oh fantastic yeah as I've said many times I, I love this film so yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. happy you've uh, finally seen yeah. it and now you've had your rewatch so you yeah. can have a small break and exactly I'm now my thirst is quenched and I can uh, <laughs> that being said I kind of want to sit back and watch number two tonight go for <laughs> it leaves. go for it <laughs> So I guess it's uh, about that time where we are. Uh, Eric digs in around, uh, digs into the hat. Into the hat. Uh, so next time we will be watching one of your selections, Weird Science. Oh, okay, yeah. Elastic tubes and pots and pans, bits and pieces, and magic from the hands of making weird science. So one I don't know a lot about. I know it's John Hughes. Yep. Yeah. So it's one of those John Hughes '80s um, cult films. Mm. Um, about some kids who, two, I, I think, anyway, we'll talk about it next time, but two, yeah, two yeah. boys who make a female robot to fall in love with or something along <laughs> those lines. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that, like, I, I wanted to put this in the hat because I feel 80s teen movies is yeah. something we need to get into. I think yeah, it's is... a good choice to have in there. There's yeah. a lot of those John Hughes ones I haven't seen. Yeah, um, and I mean, John Hughes is like king of the 80s teens. Yeah, he's the just movies, like, so. everyone turns to him. So this is um, not one that I knew of when I was younger. Mm. Um, so... No, I think it belongs in there because it, perhaps it's one I sh- would have been good, great to see, and it's exactly yeah. Well, I guess uh, tune in uh, in a fortnight's time for that. Uh, but if you have any comments, queries, uh, think we've missed anything, or uh, have any of your films you used to watch as a kid that you think Eric might have missed, uh, feel free to send us an email at haven'tseenpod at gmail dot com. Or if you feel like it, you can find me on Twitter at Criterion Quest, which is a shameless plug for the other podcast I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, that will be back before next time.
Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.